really hope that you've just had a great, great new year, a great time, great time with your family. You know, I know just so much going on right now. And, you know, the reality is, is that there's a lot of people today that are living in a lot of fear. You know, there's a lot of people that are losing a lot of battles today because a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, just about everything that's going on in this world, in our lives, whether it's, you know, job security or COVID or whatever it might be. A lot of people are living in a lot of fear. And so I pray this morning as I read God's word and as we kind of get into this today, that, uh, that I pray that we can pray for those that are living in fear. And I pray this morning that if there's a sense of fear, anxiety that you're living in even today, right now, as we step out into the world that we live in and raising our families and dealing with people and navigating uncertain times that we would just pray for a confidence and a courage that only God can give us to step into the spaces that He has for us and to be the people that He's called us to be. You know, the first of the year, we always like to just kind of really kind of gather back at our rally point. You know, when we prayed about uh, starting this body... You know, a lot of it was just, what can we do for our families? And through that prayer, we were led to a a, a passage of Scripture. And this passage of Scripture is where we got our name. And this passage of Scripture is where we get our mission and vision as a church. You know, a lot of people will ask us, well, what do you do different than any other church? Listen, I don't set out to try to be better or different than anybody else. Because anytime you step into the work of God in that capacity, you begin competing with people for the same work of the kingdom of God that we're all set out to do. And so for us, we just want to continuously, and we take this time, the first message of the year always, to really step back and see this is who we started as and this is who we want to be. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I, it's very easy as a Christian, but even more so it's very easy as a ministry to look back and say, how did we get so far from where we started? Like, how did we get so far from that passion that we once had, this desire, this mission that we once had to do the work of God by the the mission of God? And so for us, that's why we like to stop, hit the brakes. Let's go back to our rally point, see who we are, see where we started and continue to try to be and seek after to be the church and the people that we desire to be. And so that verse, and you can, I have our logo marked next to it. You can star next to it or whatever, just to be able to kind of even hold me. You can say, hey, Jake, remember, this is who we want to be, right? And that's why we want to have some accountability for ourselves as a church. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to read. And these are the verses. This is the, where the mission and the vision from our church is built on. This is the people that we want to be. This is the type of church that we want to represent the kingdom of God for. And we'll read through it together, we'll pray, and then we'll see what it is that God has for us today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through let's read that together. And he says, Paul says, And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Church, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you so much that you've chosen to reveal your truths to broken people like us. 
Father God, I pray that in the midst of everything we bring into this space this morning, Father God, I pray the thing that breaks through, God, the thing that shines through is you and your truths and your grace and your mercy and your wisdom and your conviction. Lord, all of these things, God, let these things flood our hearts, flood our minds, God, and let them be revealed through the words that we lean towards as a church body here today. As Cross Point Community Church, as the church locally and the church universally. Father God, let us lean towards these truths for us, for our families, as we step into the work that it is you have for us. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And so... For us, I want to I go through these verses first and just kind of reaffirm the type of church that, that our hearts desire. My heart's desire is for us to be. The type of church that Paul is speaking about in these verses. You know, there's a lot of context that I think we can lay and really kind of get an idea of what Paul is speaking into. So the church of Corinth is a massive place. You know, uh, uh, the, 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 a certain type of, of games is held at this place. The second biggest compared to the Olympian games. But the, it was a massive place, a massive hub of people. And people were constantly coming in and out of massive structures of pagan worship were built. And so as the church of God begins to develop in this place, there's the problem here. There's division that's happening. There's struggles. There's arguments. There's fights. Because for one, people are holding on to their past lives. They're holding on to other beliefs and they're mixing it in with their Christianity. But not only that, but they're, they're, they're arguing. They're divisive. All of these things are happening. But most of all, in the midst of it, very similar to what we're going through here today, is that there's a culture that's pressing in around them, that's calling them to be something that God has called them not to be. And so when Paul is speaking into this, there's so much that's going on. And you can jump back, and I won't have these on the screen, but you can jump back and see Paul's just passion for this church, this massive Massive opportunity in the midst of a broken world of Corinth that's going on here. And so he tells them earlier on in verses 10 of chapter 1, he says, Let there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He said, Let there not be quarreling among you. There's arguments among the people of God going on here. And so Paul is really trying to bring their mindset in and their ideas into this place where they truly see what the goal is. Like this is what we're meant to do. The opportunities that you have as a church are here for you. And that Paul goes and, and even further down in that, he's telling them, he's, he's like, listen, you're arguing about who has baptized you. Like you're arguing about allegiance to people, people who have done these rituals. He tells them, he says, listen, I'm glad that I haven't baptized all of you. And a lot of us, we would say, well, well, that sounds crazy. But Paul is saying, because it's not about me. He says it's not about this religious tradition that we're trying to... These, these things that aren't bad things. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, these ordinances, liturgy that we participate in every week. These things aren't bad and they help us rehearse, like we talked about last week, rehearse the story of redemption that God is doing on behalf of His people. But Paul is telling this church, this massive hub of people, he says your focus has gotten too fixated on these things. Your focus has gotten too fixated on people. You're depending on these people. Like you're one who's been baptized by Apollo and who's been baptized by Paul. And like you're arguing about these things that are insignificant to the work that God is doing. You're missing the point. 
You're missing what God is bringing you into. And so further on down in verse 17 of chapter 1, he says this. And I love this. Because there, there, there is, is such a, a, a hold to some certain things within our Christian lives, within our Christian spaces. You know, and, and for me, especially whenever people in certain denominations will put so much emphasis on baptism, that baptism is a mode of salvation. You know, for me, I go back to this verse and I say, well, why did Paul say this if we're saved by a man's hands baptizing me? Paul said this, he said, for Christ did not send me to baptize. He didn't send me to do this. But he did send me to do this. He said, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, is he saying we shouldn't baptize? Absolutely not, because I think baptism is essential for our Christian walk and our faith steps. But he says, that's not why Christ sent me. He didn't send me so you depend on my hands to baptize you. Because even John the Baptist would say in the book of Mark, he says that, that, that John says, he says, I came to baptize with water, but he comes to baptize you in the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are washed clean. When the Spirit of God dwells in you, you have the power of God unto salvation to step in the world the way that he's called you to. Baptism is essential for an external representation of what Christ has done in our, our hearts, but it is not what saves us. But the Bible will tell us that we are saved through hearing, we gather faith through hearing of the Word of God and what He has done and what He is doing in the life of believers. But there's something very essential there, and I think this is where we get back to and we connect back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The end of that, he says, Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I think this for us today is the most relevant thing. And listen, I hear a lot of people, you know, I've heard people say things like this. And I I want you to hear that I'm not complaining about or, or I'm not calling out big church when I say this. And saying that, oh, the best thing to do is to be a small church with 60, 70, 80 people. I'm not saying that. Because I hear a lot of people use things like that as an excuse not to do active ministry in their communities. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that our cultural climate has an expectation of church. Right? I mean, be honest. Our cultural climate has an expectation of what church should look like, sound like, and feel like. Feel like. The culture in Corinth had the same expectation. In Corinth, people would come and they would give these massive speeches, these very eloquent things. They would debate and they would argue and it was all about intellect. It was all about uh, information and and in their minds, their wisdom that they had to give. And I love how Paul, he says this. He says that I did not come not with words of eloquent wisdom. And, and so what he's doing there, he's not saying, and, and I've also heard this argument, I'm not saying that the Christian faith is all about blind faith and it's nothing about intellect. I think, and I love that about the Bible, and I love that about the world we live in, the information that we can gather, that our faith is not disconnected from our intellect, but it supports the knowledge that we gather. It supports our intellect. We're, we're not meant to not think. It's the very opposite. We're meant to know. We're meant to think. We're meant to engage and have answers and to have conversations with people about our faith and what we believe and why we believe it. And so when Paul says this, he's not saying that we shouldn't have wisdom, 
But he's saying that the type of wisdom that you're expecting, the type of experience that you're expecting is not what you're going to get from me. He says, you're not going to get the show from me. He says, you're not going to get the me that is trying to impress you with eloquent words. He says, you're not going to get that from me because it's superficial, because it's shallow, because it's all about how you feel in an experience. And Paul says, that's not why I'm here. Because, and he gives us the reason, and I think this is, the, as the culture presses in around the church and the church begins to be more pragmatic or begins to be more in a sense of trying to fit the desires of the world around it, as these churches in Corinth are trying to be more like the culture so that the people will come, which has caused the divisiveness. He says here, he says, listen, if you begin to mold the message to fit the people, then what happens? He says you will have the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You begin to mold the message to fit the masses and you've emptied the message of Christ and crucified of its power. And so if we begin emptying the, the message of Christ and Him crucified for the sake of the people around us, then what are we? I mean, in reality, what are we doing? What do we have to offer that's any different than what the world has to offer? And so that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, if I come to you simply with this appealing message to the masses that I can bring to you or an appealing experience... You know, with the show, with the, with the, with, you know, to make you feel better about yourself or to make you feel comfortable or to make you feel a certain way. It says, listen, then we've emptied the cross of Christ. We've emptied it of its power because we've, we've molded the message to be something different. And then so, what we have to understand, and several times Paul references this idea of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. Because the pressure, the pressure from the world around Paul's people in Corinth, the people of Christ in Corinth, was to get rid of that message. And we see here, we see here why. Because in, in verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly or ignorance to those who were perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And so we know that, that there's a, there was a, a pressure for Paul to let go of the message of the cross. Get rid of it. Which for us as Christians today, I mean, without the cross, there's nothing else. But it is possible, and I believe it is happening in our world and in our churches all around us, that we've lost focus on what the cross means, of what the cross brings. I mean, so much where the idea that God sent His Son... Jesus is the incarnate God, that God sent Him Son or Himself in the form of Jesus to bear, to die for the sins of humanity. There's a lot of churches that they don't, they don't even want to talk about that because that, that's not the God that we serve. God would not require death. Like what kind of God would do that? What kind of God would send His Son to die? Our loving, merciful God would not require that. And the problem is, is that for a lot of us, we live our Christian life believing that God owes us an explanation. God owes us nothing, right? God owes us nothing. But the fact that God sent His Son Jesus to die and to bear our sins on the cross when He owed us nothing should reveal to us the grace and the mercy that our Almighty God brings. But listen, we will miss that message if we don't have the backdrop 
of God's wrath to speak of, right? If we don't have the backdrop of God's wrath on sin, we will never truly see the love that He's given us. Because otherwise we believe He owes us something and He doesn't. The Creator God of the universe owes us nothing. But He gives to us freely. Isn't that amazing? But that message is connected to the cross. And so the message that the people, that the culture around Paul is telling them to get rid of is the cross. For one, the, the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Because the Jewish people, they, 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 they don't want to believe that the God of the universe would come and die in such a humiliating way. There's no way. So the Bible says in, in verse, uh, in, in, in down here in the verse... Uh, Where's it out? Oh, verse 22. It says, For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. So it's something that's getting in their way. They're having a hard time grasping this message because it doesn't make sense to them. And not only is it a stumbling block to the Jewish people, then he also says that it's folly or it's ignorance to the Gentiles, everyone else who isn't a Jew. He says, it's ignorance. They think it's dumb. Why would God do that? Why would the Creator, the strong, mighty Creator of the universe, why would He do that? And listen, I don't believe this is much different than the culture that we deal with. For one, you know, for the Jews, they didn't believe that the cross needed to happen. That it doesn't need to happen that way. I can, be, I can earn my way into God's good graces. That's what the Jews did. Sacrifices and offerings and all these things to try to get into God's good graces. So for them, the cross wasn't necessary. Because they believe it belittled God. So like, ah, the cross isn't necessary. And I believe that we have in our culture, we deal with people who have that mindset where it's for, that they, they believe within themselves that they can be good enough for God. They can do enough good to get into God's good graces, to earn a seat at the table that God has invited us to. And so it's going to be a constant stumbling block. The idea of the cross and the truth about the cross will be a constant stumbling block. Because they'll never get over that. They'll never be able to truly be in that place where they can enjoy the presence of God and His promises. Because they're living like the Jews. They're trying to earn it by sacrifices and offerings. And then the second type of person you deal with is just the person that's straight up like, this is stupid. Like, why would the God, Why, if there was a God, why would that God want anything to do with us? And if He did, why in the world would He come like He did and die? Like, why would he do that? And so for other people, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make any sense to them. It's, it's ignorance. It's folly, the Bible says. And we see. It's because it's based on a sense of, in verse 26, it says, For consider your calling, brothers, talking to Christians, consider your callings, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Because that's where our culture, that's where the people, that's where before Christ, that was the standard at which we lived by. We lived by the worldly standards. We lived by the world system. And so by the world system of judgment, by the world system of justification, what God did does not make sense. 
So if we try to live by that system, by that standard, and like these people are holding on to the system of Corinth, and if for us, if we hold on to the system of our world, then the work that God has done will not make sense to us. Because by our standards, if somebody hurts me or does me wrong, I'm done. They're out. Then I want to see them pay. I want to see them fall. I want to see them have an experience that is equal to the hurt that I've experienced. And so the idea that there is a God in the universe that we've hurt or that we've turned away from or that we've spoken or rebelled against, that that God would still choose for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that that God would still choose, it doesn't make sense by worldly standards. It doesn't make sense. But that's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus on the cross for us. And so this is the message that they're wanting Paul to get rid of, but Paul is saying, I can't do it. Because it's this message that saves. It's this cross that is the evidence of the work that God is doing. It's in the midst of this destruction. It's in the midst of the hurt and the blood and the shame and the guilt of the cross that redemption happens. That the mercy and love of God is seen in the cross in the work that Jesus has done. And so through that, we can finally get down to the verses that we read. But I want to lay some context. And so he says here, he says, And when I came, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He says, listen, I didn't come to impress you. I didn't come to make you feel a certain way. I came to bring you a message. And what was that message? He says this. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So this is so countercultural Because remember, the cross is the message they're telling Him to let go of. The cross is the message they're telling Him this is a stumbling block for Jews and it's, it's ignorance to the Gentiles. Nobody's going to come to you because of this message of the cross that you continue to speak of. And so Paul says, he says, listen, I've chosen to know nothing. And now listen, for us, that seems very absolute. And so we were like, well, did Paul not talk about it? Is he saying that everything else we do is, 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 is not good or we shouldn't do it? No, but what he's doing is he's elevating this thought. He's elevating where we fix our hearts, where we fix our minds. The reason for us where we came to this place where we said we want to be cross point community, church. Because if we point to anything, let us point to the cross. Because what do we find at the cross? At the cross we find death. At the cross we find the payment of sin. At the cross we find hurt. At the cross we find fear. At the cross we find doubt. We find all these things there. But you know what else we find in the foot of the cross? We find the answers. We find hope. We find redemption. We find grace. We find mercy when we realize who is on that cross and what happened on that cross. That's what God has given to us in the cross. And so for Paul, he's saying, listen, that I didn't come to impress you. I didn't come to convince you of anything. And and I love how he says, he, he says that I came proclaiming to you the testimony of God. The testimony of God. Who gives testimonies in a court setting? A witness. Right. So what Paul is saying, he says, listen, I didn't come as a salesman peddling a product. He says, I came as a witness to the work of what God is doing. I've come as a witness to the cross of Jesus. I've come as a witness to the gospel. 
I don't have a product. And listen, for a lot of times as churches, and you know, I mean, churches are hiring social media people, TikTok people, Snapchat people. You know, they're hiring worship teams. They're doing building these big platforms around people. You know, you and when you search this church's website, you got to search this pastor's name because that's how you get to their information. Listen, it's not about building platforms. It's not about peddling a product. It's about being a witness to a message of what God has done for you personally. It's not about a platform. It's not about a product. It's about what God has done in the lives of people. That's why Paul is saying this. He's saying, listen, it's not about me. It's about what God is doing through around me and what He's done for me. I mean, Paul could say, listen, and he says, he says, I was the chief of sinners. I am the chief. I've, I've struggled. I've, I've, I've stood by and, and given the okay for murders. I've sought after the people of God and rebelled against the work of God. And what did God do? Through the preordained purpose of God, He met me on the road to Damascus. He met Paul on the road to Damascus. By what work did Paul do to have God meet him there? Nothing. It's by what? By the grace of God that He met Paul where he was. And in that same way, He meets us where we are on the roads that we're walking, maybe even having intentions to do bad things and live bad ways. And God meets us there. He meets us there. And what does He point us to? What did He point Paul to? The cross. So Paul says that I I leave behind the loftiness and the wisdom that you desire to hear from me, and I'm giving you the cross. Because it's at that cross that I was saved. It's at that cross that Christ bore my sin. It's at the cross that God gave me the purpose that I needed. He's not a product to be peddled. But He's the witness of the work of God. And so then continuing on, He says, For I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said the substance of His message would be this, because the teaching of the cross has the solution to our problems. And the hard thing, and where even in churches, when we, when we, when we give, give up the truth of the cross, we begin to give up the solution to our issue, our problem with sin our problem with shame, our problem with guilt. When we've emptied the cross of its power and the message of Jesus of its power, we give up the solution. You know, C.S. Lewis said this. You know, I love some C.S. Lewis. He said, The most hopeless, dangerous place to be is to know everything that is wrong, but to have no clue how to fix it. And listen, when we've emptied the cross of its power, we present that problem. We've created an experience for you to come and have your feelings satisfied, We have not presented you the solution to your problem. The solution to our problem is found in the cross. The solution to our problem is found in Christ Jesus and what He's done. You know, Isaiah 8.20, Isaiah is talking about these teachings going around. And he tells them, he says, to the teaching and to the testimony. He's talking about to the message of God. He says, to that message, to that teaching, to that testimony. He says, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no light. The light has not been shined from them because the message of the cross is the only message that truly shines light, not only on our feet to allow us to know where to walk, but to shine light on our sins so that we can truly begin to deal with it, to allow God to begin to work. Because without the message on the cross, we continue to stand in darkness. 
Without the message of what God is doing in, in, in the work of Jesus, we stand in darkness, not only not knowing where to go, but not, not even knowing where to begin. But when we know that Jesus has taken the record of debt against me and canceled it when it was nailed to the cross, that we find hope. That for me, as a broken father, I find hope. As a, as a, as a, as a faulty husband, I find hope. As a, as a, as a weak human, we find the cross. We can only find in the cross of Christ. And then he says in verse 5, the reason that I point to the cross, because when it's built on my wisdom, when it's built on my platform, when it's built on my hands doing works for you, he says this. He says, we do all this and because of him you are in, I'm sorry, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How many times have you been disappointed by man? How many times have you been let down by men in secular or sacred spaces? Probably an equal amount, maybe even more so in the sacred, right? And a lot of the downfall, a lot of the calamity and the destruction that happens is because of the way that our spiritual systems have been built. They've been built as pyramids pointing up to one person within the local church, within the people that we look up to or listen to. All of it's been built up to one person. And so when that person falls, the domino effect, all the people fall under it. I mean, to be honest, I mean, think within yourself. Maybe you've had, I know I've had it. Maybe you've had hurts. Maybe you've had hurts that you're still working through or that you have worked through that are connected to a man of God or a woman of God that you depended on or believed in. That in your mind, that person was perfect. In your mind, that person is the evidence of spiritual strength. And if I can just be them, be close to them, mimic them, mirror them, if they like me, if they trust me, if they believe in me, then it's all good. But then the moment they fell, the moment they faltered, you were left wondering, what do I do now? If they can't do it, then there's no way I can do it. If, if, if they're not right, then there's no way I'll ever be right. There's no way anyone else can ever be right in my eyes. There's no way I can ever do anything with God or for God. Or maybe it's even to the point where I don't even want to be a part of this mess because of it. But the problem is, the problem's not God. The problem's people. And then the problem in our churches isn't because... Because listen, I mean, the reality is, you know, we always hear the phrase, well, there's no perfect church. I would argue that every church is perfect. You know why? Because Jesus died perfectly for every one of us. So every church is perfect because of what God has done for us. Now, for us as people, individuals, on the day-to-day, do we all make perfect decisions? No, we don't. Do we all do the right thing? No, we, we don't. Do we always have it all together, all, have all the answers? Or do we always feel the need within the context of our relationships like we need to? No, we don't. And how is that ever okay? It's only okay if the way at which we accomplish the mission of God is that we're not pointing back to ourselves, but that we're pointing to others. We're pointing to the work of Jesus on the cross. We're pointing to Him constantly. When the work of God becomes dependent on the people of God, then we've missed it. 
That doesn't mean that we don't do, because we'll talk about here in just a minute. The responsibility for us to take active steps of obedience is absolutely vital for the discipleship of our families and the people around us. But even within that, I mean, Paul. Paul writes the majority of the New Testament. What does Paul constantly say? It's not about me. Is, is that countercultural to the way that celebrity pastors preach today? It is. And I don't mean that to be like, you know, to start a big whatever, and maybe you listen to some of these people, but, I mean, if we're honest, it's all about them. The moment that person steps away, what is that now? It's not so-and-so.com anymore. It's a void. It's, an empty, it's a hole where people depended on, where people were going to for their strength and their courage. And their, their, I need to hear Pastor so-and-so today or I'm not going to feel the way I need to feel going into the week. Listen, we're depending on people too much. Listen, I pray that for me, for our church, whether it's me or Garen or whoever is ever teaching up here, that we are constantly pointing to Christ. You know, I, I heard this illustration a while back, and I just thought it was, it was, it was funny, you know, but, in, but, but true in so many ways. You know, there's this story about uh, a young man and, uh, and, the, and his dad. They go to this church and, you know, week after week after week, they, they hear their pastor preach and all these things. Well, well one week, you know, they, uh, the, 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 the pastor isn't there, so they have a guest speaker. Well, behind the pulpit, there's a massive stained glass painting of Jesus. And so as this guest preacher is preaching, the other the kids and the people, they're listening. And then after the message, the son leans over to the dad and he says, Dad, where is that man that stands up there every week in front of Jesus? In front of the mirror, in front of the window. You know, it's like, man, that's so much how we are for each other sometimes. I have no desire to be your Jesus. And I have zero desire to stand in front of the one true Jesus that I want you to know. Listen, we, I want us to be a people, a church, that are not pointing people to us. Listen, and maybe that's what's kept you from actively participating in the work of the church, uh, actively allowing God to use your gifts in front of people because you think that you need to be pointing them to you. Listen, I was joking to somebody earlier. I I apologize for being the Jake show today, you know, standing up and seeing I'm playing, I'm singing, I'm preaching, I'm doing all that, you know, but it's like the only way that I can sing and do anything that I do or even preach, you know, I used to have so much anxiety about speaking and talking and, and doing things in front of people because I I felt like it was me I was pointing people to. It's like, well, people aren't going to know if I don't do it as well as this. You know, and so I'm listening to podcasts. I'm watching YouTube. I'm like seeing all these people like, God, I'll never be that person. I'll never do it as well as how they're doing it. Because I thought I needed to be something different. I thought I needed to be this perfect, impervious, like representation of God. But then I, I got to this point. It was like, God doesn't need me to do that. That's what Paul said. He's like, listen, God isn't asking you to be something perfect. God is asking you just to be present. God is asking you to be willing. Just step into what He's already doing and God will make miraculous things out of it. So that, you know, in back to to chapter 1, He says this, this is the reason that it's not in the worldly wisdom that we do or in our own ability or what's going on. He says, but it's in the wisdom and the righteousness of God unto salvation, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not to boast in me or my ability or my singing or my preaching or whatever I do. It's not about me. 
But the moment it does, then I stop boasting about what God's doing and I'm just so thankful for what I'm doing. Man, it's a good thing I'm there to sing. It's a good thing I'm there to preach. It's a good thing I'm there to do this or to do that. It becomes about me. I stop boasting in the Lord. I start boasting about me. But it's in the midst of our weakness and our inabilities for me to be a parent, to be a husband, for you to be an employee, parent, husband, grandparent, whatever it is that you do. The only way you do that adequately is not in your own strength or your own wisdom, but in the wisdom imparted to us by the Holy Spirit through the work that God has done and is doing for us. Listen, and the truth of the matter with it is that that God has chosen us for that. Not because of our ability, because of who He is. And going back to verse 26 of chapter 1, He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble. But God chose. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to, that are not to, bring to nothing. Things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because, because of Him you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom. Our wisdom is in Christ. And He chose what is weak. He chose what is low. He chose what is nothing to make into something. And so that's the people of God that we want to be. That's the church that we have got to be. Because that's the church that the world needs. The church doesn't need the world. The the, the world doesn't need the church to be like the world. They want the church to be like the world. They want what that type of church gives them. They can just go into the world to get that. They don't. And this is the day and age where the church, the world doesn't need cool church anymore. They need real. They need real church. They need real people with real problems, needing a real Savior, claiming a real Lord over their life. They don't need us to pretend. Listen, we are past pretending because the world sniffs that out quick now. They can see a fake. They don't need fake people anymore. They don't need people that come into church and act like they've got it all together and that their life is perfect. They have no problems, no fear, no shame, no doubt. You know, and you know those people and you've been in those places where you go and you're like, you know, all right, pull it together. That's why you walk through that threshold and you're like, hey, everything's perfect, right? Nobody prays for themselves, they pray for other people, right? If they have a prayer request, it's not for any issue I got going on, it's because everybody around me has issues, right? That's not the kind of church we need to make for people. We need to have a place where people come and they're broken and they need a Savior to save them and they claim a Lord over their life, over every aspect of their life. And that it's real. And that it's authentic. So, for our vision, you know, we've done so much over the past few years. And, you know, and, 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 and I pray that, that you would begin to see how that is. You know, God has brought us new people. God has brought us new, new hearts that are burning with a desire to see the work of God accomplished. And it has fueled what we hope to be in our community. We have, we have God to step into things, participate in things. We have connections with people and places that have just allowed us to grow, allowed us to continue. We have such a great relationship with our community. And what's so great, if there's a need, you know where they come? They come to us. Little old church meeting in the gym. They come. And they say, hey... We have this need. How can you help? And listen, 
whether it's angel tree, whether it's you know uh, financial help within the the, the uh, family repairs, you know help and move, so whatever it might be, you know creating space where those things are actively happening. And listen, those things only happen not because of me, but they happen because of you. And so my vision for us. You know, typically our visions as we kind of do these messages is very kind of uh, communal, uh, congregational. But I want to challenge you more as individuals this morning. That, that, the, that your vision for 2022 would be one of personal growth. What does that look like? What does that look like? You know, and what my hope is for us as a church is that we can always be the one providing the resources or giving the direction and cultivating that personal growth. Because it's through your growth that the work of God in your community and in your family gets done. Not because of me, not because of Brother Garen, but because of you. You disciple your families ultimately. You disciple the people around you ultimately. The church is meant to be the resource and the the, the place at which those things are cultivated. And so how can we begin to grow? How can we as individuals, you as individuals, begin to grow and us grow together. You know, the biggest thing is to begin making space to develop rhythms of study, devotion, and prayer in your life. And, let, and, and for us, letting us as a church be a resource hub for that. You know, uh, on the back table this morning, there's some resources. You know, there's a book called Rediscover Church. It's, a, it's just such a timely book. I want to encourage you to grab it. There's a handful of copies. If you don't end up with a copy, then I'll order you some more. It, what this book is about, it's about rediscovering what it means to be part of a local church in the age of COVID, in the age of pandemics, in the age of all these things, the vitality and the necessity of the local church. I want to encourage you to grab it. Let that be something that you read. I'm reading it right now. We can be reading it together. Find some encouragement in it. There's also some reading plans back there. Different types of reading plans. Chronological reading plan. Uh, just a straight up kind of uh, reading plan. There's a New Testament reading plan um, that, that just goes through the New Testament in a year. You know, whatever pace you need. You know, fine. We, and if none of those work, come to me. Hey, what's something I can do? None of this looks good for me. What's a book I can read? We have a resource guide back there with podcasts, YouTube videos, books, websites, different things you can go to to cultivate those rhythms of study and devotion in your life. That's back there also. You know, we want to be, me and the leadership team, we want to provide those avenues of personal growth for you. And that's what we want to do. And so the, the, the vision for personal growth for you, I want to, I want to really challenge you with this and I'm accepting this challenge also for myself but it's two areas education and evangelism you know one of the ways uh, is education stepping into 2022 desiring to know more about the God that you believe in and serve you know never should we feel like we have to have all the answers but I do hope that we desire to know who he is to know why we believe what we believe. And listen, that's what part of those resources are for. One of the things we're going to do stepping in the new year is every other month we want to do a four to five week Bible study where we meet once a week for four to five weeks straight, adults only. And we meet on a, we hadn't really nailed down a day, but we talked about like a Sunday night or a Wednesday, something like that, where we do it just for four weeks. We don't do a lot. I mean, right now we meet, you know, we have our men's group and our women's group, which we want to continue to cultivate those. But as far as education, as far as leaning into some type of study, we don't do a whole lot other than Sunday morning. And so this isn't, I don't believe this is asking a lot to begin to be in this place where we commit to a study on some type of topic, on some type of idea. Maybe we're, you know, going through a book of the Bible. 
Bible or some topic, or maybe we're talking about certain false teachings and how to navigate those things, or certain cultural issues, whatever it might be, we want to begin to cultivate spaces for those things. And so going into the first of the year, every other month, four to five week study, to be ready for that. Our first one we were planning, I think we had talked about February, we had talked about doing one. You know, and, uh, and, and just continuing. And like I said, our men and women's groups, these are great community groups to, be at, to get plugged into and to, to build community with people and to find that support and encouragement that we need to navigate these spaces. And then the last thing is evangelism. You know, if, if evangelism is, 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 is a scary thing for you, and when we say evangelism, you know, the world we live in, it's a lot different than, you know, I, I'm not telling you to go door to door with tracks or anything like that, because honestly, in, in the world we live in right now, people just aren't receptive to that type of thing. But what they are receptive to, and what I truly believe the evangelism of today is, is being willing to have conversations. Willing to have conversations. I'm not saying agreeing with everybody, I'm not saying that at all. But having conversations, not arguments, conversations with people. Hearing from them so that they'll give you the time to hear from you. And that's where this education and evangelism go together. Where we begin to know more about who God is and what God's done and what He's doing for us. Can we articulate the gospel in a clear way? Can we articulate our faith? Can we pray out loud confidently? You know, these types of things that are a part of evangelical prayer is as much evangelistic as preaching is. You know, there's so much we communicate through those things. And worship is evangelistic and how we worship, how we express it. You know, one of the ways we, we, know, we want to evangelize is going into the summer. We did a one-day VBS this past year. We want to do a three-day VBS coming into this year. So begin to pray about that. Begin to plan to participate in that with us. You know, we want to do that early summer. I mean, not, I'm sorry, late summer going into August is whenever we want to do it. Last year we did it, I think, right at the cusp of July to August. We kind of want to do the same thing, but instead of one day, we want to do three days. Invest in our community. Invest in the students. That's one way we want to be evangelistic. And maybe you have other ways. You know, we have, I have tracks back there. If you want to grab a track and read it, if you, want, if you have somebody in your life you know, that you would like to give it to and have a conversation with about the particular topic on that track, then do it. It's back there. We've had them for three years now. I don't think anybody's ever taken one. But they're there. The resources are here. I want to, we want to give you the resources you need to be educated and to evangelize. And that's what we want to do. And to begin feeling confident, invite someone to join you. Listen, the, the crazy thing about this, this community that we live in, there's, you know, right under Deritter for having like the most churches in a, in, a, in a community. The crazy thing is, churches in our community are empty. They're empty. People are not going to church. You know, maybe some of it's fear with, you know, the pandemic, but honestly, people weren't going to church before that. So there are people around you that are not being fed the Word of God. They do not have a hub. They don't have a community to come to week after week and to step out from their Christian, in their Christian faith, to grow in their Christian faith. And those, you know those people right now, as I've said, that you've thought about people Maybe they've texted you this morning because they're not in church. There are people that, that they're just waiting for your invitation. They're waiting for you to invite them to be a part of what you're a part of. And so education, evangelism, and personal growth about how you can serve. Listen, our worship team could use some people. Come on. Our kids' ministry could use some people. We need it. Listen, 
and I'll give you the resources you need to teach. I'll give you the resources you need to participate in the worship team. I mean, I'll give you the resources, whatever you need. We, there's no shortage of resources. The only shortage is you being willing to step in, to serve, in leadership, in teaching, whatever I might be. Because remember, if there's anything keeping you from it, maybe it's you keeping you from it. Because you're afraid of people seeing you. But remember, what we do, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the cross. Remember, I'm deflecting everything there. That's the only way I can stand and do anything that I'm doing today. It's because I'm deflecting to Jesus, not to me. I'm a, I'm a, fault, I'm a faulty God. I'm not the God you want. But God, He is. Christ is. He's the Lord you want over your life. He's the one that you want. So church, I'm going to pray for us. And I just want us to step in and lean, really lean into these moments about what God is doing, what we want Him to do for our church, for us in this year, 2020. How can I, how can I be that? How can I begin to take those steps of faith in this vision and mission that God has for me? And I believe, like those verses, 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, through that it's choosing to fixate on the gospel. That I would choose, like Paul, to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. That I would choose to focus. It's really what Paul's saying. I would choose to focus on the cross. That the basis of everything I do is in the cross and what He's done and what He's planning to do. So church, if you would, if you'd stand with me, and we're just going to take a moment and sing and worship together. And as I pray, that you would pray along with me and ask and seek after the Lord and what He has for us here today, what He has for you as an individual and how He wants to use you in your life. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You. Lord, we praise You. God, I just pray that whatever it is in our lives that is keeping us from taking faithful steps of obedience into the work that You have for us, Lord, I pray that You begin to strip those things away. God, that we live in a space, in a place of so many excuses and so many fears. But God, let us truly see and believe and know the truth of what the cross brings to us. Lord, that it's not for us to boast in ourselves, but as God, it's for us to boast in You. So that we can begin to step into the work that You have for us. God, that You would begin to show us and reveal to us the truth of your kingdom, the truth of your purpose for each and every one of us in the midst of our fears, doubts, shames, or inadequacies. God, that's why you've given us each other, to find support, to find, Lord, the resources that we need to begin to walk in the work that you have for us. Lord, let us never forget the gospel. Lord, let us never empty the gospel of its power by giving into anything less than the truth of Jesus. Lord, we love you. God, I just ask you to work within us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.